When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus and Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is live again. So I had a chance to go with, with uh, Sean here at a, at a meeting he was, that I'm at. And he was the speaker at it. And I had to uh, take advantage of him here being with me uh, live. So, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. We had a good meeting today. Yeah. Went over a lot of different cycles and stuff yeah. and had a good discussion. So I thought I thought a uh, lot was learned by all. I think so. so. So cool thing about Sean, he's on here twice a week. and Every time he comes on, I learn something new. And then every time I listen to him speak, there's something I didn't know that he talks about. So I, I think let's talk about this for a minute. So you brought up the moon uh, rotational cycle and how it, it tilts five degrees every 18.6 years. Or the, earth, the earth. The earth spins okay. around its axis. Uh-huh. But every 18.6 years, it wobbles five degrees off center okay. for three years before reverting back to normal. Okay. And it does this constantly. Okay. Um, and so we know that the moon rotates. So that as the as the, as the Earth wobbles, the interaction of the gravimetric force of the moon to the Earth gets distorted. Yep. We know that the the sun is also hugely impactful on its gravimetric force, and of course, it's also experiencing right. that five degree. And of course, the sun's also wobbling in its own sure. situation. So that 
cycle repeats every 18.6 years for three years. Um, and the oceans or the thermohumaline current, which equilibrates all the ocean temperatures around the, in, the, in the earth, which the Gulf Stream, as an example, is one part of that, either speeds up, which means more of the warm water goes to the north, which warms the, the, the oceans, or it slows down, which means the warm water stays to the south and it gets colder up to the north. Mm -hmm. And what um, every 60 years, this Earth-Moon nutation cycle um, slows the current down. So the Woods Hole Institute just recently, they measure uh, this thermohumaline current all the time. And they noticed that in the last five years, it's been down 15%. Uh, from what it was, showing that we're getting this slowdown, and hence why this Atlantic Ocean go moving to the cold phase is yeah. due in the 60-year cycles from 1965, says 2025 is when Atlantic should get started to get cold again. We also mentioned about this um, pool of water northwest of that, Ireland. Yeah, that was the one. That's the thing. that We've talked about that before, I and <clears throat> I remember you talking about the last conference I, wa I watched you at where you're you're talking about it. It goes, forgive me, I forget, counterclockwise, and it reverses. It goes clockwise or vice versa. And when it reverses, that's when it spills the cold water out in the Atlantic. Right. The, the way the cycle works is when, when the Atlantic gets warm and the temperatures get warm, the glacier melts and all this cold, fresh water gets trapped right. in this Beaufort gyre, they call it. It's this body of water and it spins like this and just, it's like a, it's like a, a, a vortex, just keeps it in there. And then the way the cycle operates is that as enough of this cold water gets in there through a process of a, a process of um, osmosis is right. really what it is. It reverses the current back around, and then all this cold, fresh water gets dumped into the North Atlantic, thereby slowing the current further, thereby cooling the ocean further, um, and then it also reduces the salinity of the Central to North Atlantic, which um, then further, you know, further cools the cycle. Right. So it's really the trigger. So like the last time we had this, if you, as I said to the conference today, if you put in a in your computer the um, great salinity event, literally the great salinity event, you'll see it was a it was a period from the late mid nineteen sixties, um, you know, into the mid seventies where we saw this salinity fall off as this Beaufort Gyre dumped all this cold water in and, and set off a really really um, cold 15 years 10 to 15 right. years and so it you know we should be heading back in we know we know the pacific is already cold that's already happened um and now we're just waiting for the 60-year cycle to trigger um in 2025 and all the readings because I, I i keep tabs of what the oceanic woods hole institute saying and they think that we're they just had a paper like a month and a half ago and they think imminently and i mean they, they use the term imminently think this um Beaufort Geyer is going to reverse and, and dump all this water. And then once that happens, then the the climate really dramatically changes almost overnight. It really does. Because we've had, when you have a warm, and then we discussed today the, the precipitation changes that occur when the Atlantic and the Pacific are cold versus when the Pacific is cold and the Atlantic is warm. It's a pretty significant change in precipitation patterns and in temperature patterns. That goes along with the grand solar cycle that's already been established in place. You don't normally get both. Right. In the 70s, it was just the sea surface temperature cycle. In the Dalton minimum, we didn't have 
the sea surface temperature cycle was just a, a grand solar. Right. So you have you have to go back over 400 years to see both of these cycles in almost perfect synchronicity, right. which means maximum weather volatility, maximum cooling of temperature potential, and um, you know, and just maximum effect of, of adverse weather. That's why when we showed uh, the the last two times that we had both oceans cold, which was the 65 to late 70s and the period from 1900 to 1920, they were wildly bullish periods for agricultural commodities because the weather was so challenging mm-hmm. in shrinking the growing cycle yeah. and um, in reducing the amount of northern ground that could be used in productive agriculture mm-hmm. and um so you know so that, that's like where i believe that we're uh, heading again and uh, we're not quite there but almost there yeah so okay so you showed you showed a a slide today and it was where the ocean temperatures were at as of february 2023 and where ocean temperatures were at as of february 2012 and they were i don't want to say they were identical twins but they were as close, they're they're maternal twins for sure. You know what I mean. So <laughs> they 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 were very very close to each other. Right um, now, I mean, see what we try to do. You know, we're trying to make these very what seems to be crazy forecasts, but we want we're trying to verify them as we go along the way. You know, as we try to look for these signposts. One of the signposts, as we talked about, is El Nino needs to not come in spring. Well, that's to be determined, but our work says it won't. But we'll see. The second thing is you want to look for similarities in sea surface temperatures from past droughts. And you want to look at similarities in, in weather patterns compared to last droughts. So in 2012, in February 6th, and we, you know, we as you said, we had a very similar, mm-hmm. almost identical. Around the world. Like around the world. Everything. Now, just because it's similar doesn't mean it will wind up being similar come summer, but it means that you, you, you have the DNA right. of what a drought looks like. And we highlighted this very, very cold ring that is off the coast of California. If you think this through, the the air above the cold sea surface temperatures is sinks, and you have hot water to the west, right. and so that it the precipitation goes this way, so it sucks the moisture, puts a dome over the United States. It's a very common feature to have that cold ring um, in in these major droughts. We had it in the Dust Bowl '34. Uh, we had it in 2012. We have the ring now. And then we showed a chart of what the sea surface temperatures look like in July 6, 2012. And there was a note you could you notice that the wa- water in the Central Pacific warmed considerably, mm-hmm. but it was not warm enough to, to be an El Nino. Right. It was warm enough to be neutral. neutral. Yeah. And the reason that's important is because in a normal La Nina, sinking air, Rising air, you, know, you get this very active walker cycle. Right. In a La Nina, in El Nino, rising, you know, but if you have a situation where you don't have it hot or really cold in the central, the air is not doing anything. So the walker cycle really kind of becomes, it, it, it gets taken off the table. Yeah. So if you plant a high pressure system in the middle of the country, the walker cycle is not in a position to knock it off its kilter and it just sits there. And that's what happened in 2012, 88. And you, you know, it's, it's a pretty consistent pattern. So, so we want the, the, the three things we're really looking for is, is that ring going to still be there in let's say May is El Nino not going to arrive. It's going to be more neutral. Um, and, um, and the last thing that we're, uh, that we look for is these similar 
weather patterns elsewhere. So example, we, we showed a chart today where South America, you know, drought in Argentina, but right. Brazil was perfect. Well, that was exactly what they had in 2012 growing season. Right. Same exact pattern in 1934. Right. Um, and so we have that now. That does not guarantee the same outcome, but it says that, that the same upper airflow pattern that created those very similar patterns are in place today. And then we looked at something else, which may seem esoteric, but Mount uh, Washington in New Hampshire uh, broke the minus 47 degree record cold that was made in the in January of 1934, which was the January before the Dust Bowl, worst of the Dust Bowl year. We broke that um, this past month um, and actually you know, also broke record cold um, wind chill factor. So once again, an, another very unusual event happening um, that the last time was ahead of a major drought. So, so we were we, you know, we're seeing some similar signs that are, that that it that, that we might be on to you know something like this. So we'll have to see. Uh, we are going to start the season off well. We've got some good moisture, especially in parts of Nebraska and South Dakota, where it's been very dry. Uh, that's going to allow for some pretty good planting. So I think the grain markets are going to correct. I think today corn was down 13 on the nearby. And it's it's I think we might be done with South America. We're getting ready to trade a good planning start. So I'm expecting a setback. I have been expecting a setback. But I think once that's we get to like the first part of April, we trade that. Then if the signs are showing up that you know we're, we're, we're a drought should return if you really think this through the worst case scenario for production is to have good moisture in the spring because you have a shallow root system that develops for corn instead of going down deep so that when the hot dry weather comes in may or june the subs the very surface dries out really really fast mm -hmm. and of course the subsoil could stay for a while but if the roots aren't yeah, down deep yeah. and they stay on the surface you get a flash drought yeah. very very quickly yeah. so that's what we're looking for we got some months to go through some bearish trade to go through but um you know but but we'll just have to see but so far you know we 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 like what we're seeing in terms of the glisberg cycle kind of giving us some initial signals at least now remember I don't feel remember 2012, they swashbuckled the grain markets down into April. I mean, just killed it. I think they traded corn briefly under five uh, during that time. And, and then and then they turned the drought on it and it just over eight. So there could be a really, really good opportunity for livestock producers to buy uh, some feed here. And, and and for those farmers that have been very aggressive with their cash sales, um, or maybe you know oversold or whatever, you know, maybe a, a good opportunity to maybe put some counter hedges on on some of those sales and say, you know what, you know maybe I want to just make sure in case you know this crazy nut job Sean Hackett is right and this does happen, right. you know, that I, I haven't sold what, 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 what looks like a good price, but it may turn out to be a terrible price in the end. Right. So yeah, no good points there. <clears throat> All right. So we talked about this in 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 a lot of detail and kind of goes back to the what the what we we're talking about here just a minute ago with with the way things are shaping up and the way things are looking um wheat to white ratio wheat to rice ratio wow i messed that up <clears throat> wheat to white ratio rice ratio um when you're when you're looking at that so what's really kind of been the glue that's held the world together from just utter famine just kind of sweeping across the country and incredibly high in food inflationary costs is what India has been able to, to export out to the world, right? As far as rice goes and, and wheat to that matter. I mean, they, they've done a pretty good job of making sure that they've 
could export everything that they could, and they're taking advantage of price, right? So they're 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 taking care of stuff there. The way this is shaping up, and if things continue down the same path that they're going, and, and you're correct, and and things mirror what we saw happen in 2012 with the way things were set up, we should see a significant drought in the key growing areas of Russia and Asia, specifically India, uh, when you're looking at what that looks like. Well, yeah, whether El Nino will rise by spring, summer, or it waits till the fall, like we think it's going to, um, it's still a transition year. Right. And we showed all, and, and it, it, what people have to understand, there's a difference between transitioning from La Nina to El Nino if it's a if it's not a, a multi-year. Like right. sometimes you just get one year La Nina, and it, that's a very, very different outcome. Right. And it's a multi-year La Nina after a trough of a solar cycle. And so we went over all the years, 1911, 1918, 1951, 1958, 1971, all multi-Ulanina that we know in rice specifically that India that uh, China had a one in five hundred year drought in the South Yangtze River Valley, which is where they grow most of the rice, um, and so the, the rice prices have been surging all year long. Mm -hmm. India, however, has gone from exporting, like you said, three million metric tons maybe five years ago to exporting like almost twenty million metric, like crazy exports. That's kept the system from breaking apart. If India. Now remember they did they did a little thing where they 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 had a ban on rice exports for a little while because sure. their crop last year had some issues, but then they said maybe we'll sell a little bit. But if this year they get into a more protracted drought, as the his, history would suggest, and remember we're expecting El Nino to really be a, a, around in twenty four. Means this is a multi year problem for India. Um, don't also remember Southeast Asia has a high correlation to drought. Thailand, Vietnam, very very big exporters of rice. You know, you could really find yourself with the rice market being in a very, very bad situation. Yeah. And if uh, the, you know the wheat market, you know, gets itself, um, you know, back into some concern with geopolitics, meaning some some renewed drought, the wheat rice um, uh, combination, you know, may no longer save the day. And we're already seeing things in Ghana or in Nigeria, uh, you know, Sri Lanka earlier in the year. Uh, last year, you know, we're seeing some dominoes starting to fall in places that typically see uh, inflation and food creating chaos first. And so, you know, we're, we're at a, we showed a chart about ending stocks, grain ending stocks declined for six years straight, mm -hmm. and that the stocks to usage ratio of all grains um, is at the lowest level since the 2012 drought year. So I, I don't think we have a lot more room that we can move this down. You know, Deep down, you know, as I mentioned at the meeting, you know, deep down, I, I hope that the Glassberg gets delayed until maybe 25 and it gives us a chance to get some buffer stock back in because to do it right now would, would really add maximum humanitarian consequences to an already very delicate situation. It's not up to me to decide how this is going to play out, but I, I deep, I just hope, remember the Glassberg can happen in any one of the next three years. I just hope it's 25, but We'll have to see. Yep. Okay. All right, man. Tell you what, that's uh, I think that's a good place to stop. I'm trying. Folks, want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing at Hacker Financial. What's the best way to do that? Website. Uh, our, our Twitter page is at 
Faradex is F as in Frank, E-R-I-D as in dog, E-X-11. Our LinkedIn page, which is either look up Sean Hackett or Hackett Financial Advisors, <clears throat> or go to our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. From time to time, you know, we'll put on some interviews and some things that kind of update some of these cycles and give people some insights to where we are, where we're going. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Man, it's always been a pleasure. Eh, great. Good to see you, man. Absolutely. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and see the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, we've got a great speaker. My name is Sean Glass. Come on, on retired Navy SEAL. You know, talk a lot about what we see happening here and talk about some transitional things that we see happening as far as how we move into this new brave new world, <laughs> this brave new world of, of technology and how this how leadership is going to play a part of that. So um, as you're looking at, at that, if you want to be the first 150 people to sign up for that that meeting, uh, Axon Tire will take care of that first 50 bucks. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, go to the upper right hand corner. Click on Moving Iron Summit tab and fill out that information there, or just send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast. And I think your neurological doctor said it's very important that they don't wait until the last minute that's, because it's not good for your anxiety and, and, and yeah. neurological disorder that you have. That's a good point, Sean. I'm glad you brought that up. So the earlier the better. It'd be great. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Smooth smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work.